Welcome back to episode 73 of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. My name is Josh. It's a late night gong show recording, huh, Troy? Starting in the wee hours of the evening, I guess. You're on, what is it, Wednesday night? Yeah, as long as we're not um, going till five minutes before we publish, we'll be all right. Yeah, those ones are rough. So if you try to message us tomorrow and we're a little sleepy, uh, you'll know why. Want to give a quick shout out to our good friend, Jeremy Lee, who's celebrating his third year of the Sports Card Lives show. With a, He'll have a big, I guess, kind of anniversary show on Saturday night. We may be making a cameo there, a little gong show cameo on Sports Card Live, in case he needs to bring it down a notch or two, <laughs> I suppose. And actually, in all seriousness, ever since Troy popped off last summer on Tag and we got to know Jeremy, he's been really nothing but kind, gracious, and helpful to us, and we owe him a lot. So we want to give our sincere congratulations to Jeremy for three years on uh, Sports Cards Live. And Troy, maybe you should start ticking more people off so we can meet I, more I famous and influential people. I know. No, I didn't, I didn't take him off. I, he, it was actually really cool because it's one of those things. I don't like, or I'm not a big grader. And they came out and I kind of had some thoughts. And then it was really cool that Jeremy reached out and just said, hey, heard the show. Let's talk about some of the stuff. And we kind of had a back and forth. And it was really cool. And he's been nothing but helpful to us and the success of this show. He has been a champion of us, and we really appreciate everything he does. 100%. Last thing before we get started, just a reminder that the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast is a Patreon podcast. That means that we rely on listeners like yourself to help us support the show and make it possible, hopefully, produce more and better hockey card content. we got a lot planned and stuff that we're working on, and to fund initiatives to grow the hobby even in a small way. Right now, you can join our out of 99 support level tier, forever have that title, be one of the first 99 Gong Show supporters. You also get exclusive access to our Discord server where you can chat with us and all the other crew of about 100 or so people now on a daily basis. It's really easy to do. You can go to the HockeyCardsGongShow.com website, click on the Become a Patron link. You can go to the Patreon website at P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for Hockey Cards Gong Show. Or there's a link in the show description for whatever podcast app you're listening to us on right now. And finally, in our link tree, which you'll find in our Instagram and TikTok profile, there's a link there. Holy smokes, Troy, since our last show, which was just a few days ago, four new patrons. Is nice. that a record? Got it. That might be. That might be. All right. Record day for patrons. So thank you very, very much to Brandolito, Artfark33, Just Hockey Cards. He asked us to make sure to let you know that he has a YouTube channel under the same name, Just Hockey Cards, where they've been posting videos every couple of days. Really good. So be sure to check those out on YouTube. And then, okay, Troy, <laughs> this one scares me. You say it. Bebe Pusayan. Pusayan. Bebe Pusayan. Bebe Pusayan. Yeah. He's also got a eBay store under Willie Mathy, which I'm much more comfortable saying. W-I-L-L-Y-M-A-T-H-Y. So be sure to check out his eBay store. All right, Troy, you ready for the game plan? On today's show, we begin with the greatest NHL player to wear number 73. Then we take a look at some buying and selling tips now that we are entering the NHL playoff season. Next, it is our PWCC Weekly Auction Hockey Card Preview. This is followed by hobby news and new product releases. We then end the show with our listener mailbag. All right, Josh, we are on number 73. Hockey's most famous 73 per the hockey writers. Greatest player to wear each number article is Michael Ryder. I'm waiting for Josh to say something. What do you think of Michael Ryder? Is his middle name Knight? That is, this is a cool last name. I'll give him that. I like the last name. Michael uh, here's Ryder. Here's the thing. 
I I kind of thought like once we got out of the forties and fifties that it would be a little sexier the players and no offense to Mr. Michael Ryder here, but he's really the best seventy three. Best seventy three, and actually, wow. do research. I did the research on him, and it's he's pretty interesting. I mean, okay, I right, I'm gonna say learn. I will say I I believe I heard the name in the periphery, but I was not at all familiar with Michael Ryder. But that's again why I love doing these deep dives or overviews of the hockey greatest player to wear each numbers because I learn a lot. So let's start. Michael Ryder overview. He is a right winger from. Bonavista, Newfoundland, and Labrador. Ryder was the 216th overall pick in the 1998 NHL entry draft by the Montreal Canadiens. Ryder played in 806 regular season games over an 11-season NHL career. Ryder started his career playing four seasons with the Montreal Canadiens. This was followed by three seasons with the Boston Bruins. He then had a stint with Dallas, a return to the Canadiens, before finishing his career with two seasons with the New Jersey Devils. All right, Mr. Ryder's awards and accomplishments. He is a one-time Stanley Cup winner in 2011 with Boston. He was a member of the 2003-04 All-Rookie Team. He was second in Rookie of the Year voting in 2003-04. And for everyone that wants to know, first place or the Calder Trophy winner that year was Andrew Raycroft. Over his career, Ryder has 237 goals. 247 assists for 484 points. He made the playoffs in seven of his 11 NHL seasons, compiling 21 goals, 24 assists for 45 points in 75 playoff games played. The best season of his career from a point standpoint was his rookie season of 2003-04, where Ryder had 25 goals, 38 assists for 63 points. Peaked early. Yeah, he peaked early. That's how he's... Interesting when your best season of your career, but he still had an 11-season NHL career, which is kind of intriguing. Well, it's actually kind of cool at being a 216th overall pick. I always like to see these guys that go in, like, I can't remember what round it was, 6th, 7th round, making it to the NHL and having a long career. Would have to be the 8th round, right? Because if there's 30 teams or so at the time, 30 times 7 is 210. He's the 200th pick, 8th round. I win the math award today. You're doing math. Mic drop on the uh, mental math there. Looking at Ryder, like I said, I was not very familiar with him. But looking at his stats, he had a pretty decent five-year start to his career. He averaged 52 points a season in his first five seasons. However, after that, he just never became a huge point producer. Besides kind of an anomaly in 2011 and 12 in his season with Dallas, where he had 35 goals, 27 assists for 62 points. So one point short of his career high rookie season of 63 points. So there is that's about all I got on Ryder from the overview standpoint. I tried to find anything I could find, like overview articles or interviews, and there just wasn't a lot out there. From what I could tell, he was a decent point producer his first five years. Kind of had some never lived up to those first five years, the rest of his career besides that anomaly year. But still a pretty decent player that made it in the NHL for 11 seasons. But with that, we do have fun facts. On May 30th, 2003, Ryder scored the winning goal to end the then longest game in American Hockey League history. His goal at 14 minutes and 56 seconds of the fourth overtime period gave the Hamilton Bulldogs a 2-1 to win, two to one win over the Houston Arrows in Game 2 of the Calder Cup Finals. While at the time it was the longest game in AHL history, it has since been surpassed by two other games. 
Now, I know everyone wants to know the longest game in, and I keep saying NHL, the longest game in AHL history went five overtimes on May 9th, 2018 between the Lehigh Valley Phantoms and the Charlotte Checkers in game four of the Atlantic Division Final. And guess what, Josh? Our boy, Alex Lyon, was the winning goalie in that game, making 94 saves on 95 shots. Wow. What's like the level of exhaustion after a 95 save five overtime game from a goalie? Because you don't get a break. You're dead. You're dead. I mean, well, they have to resurface right between overtimes. Sure. You're dead. And I guarantee he lost probably 10 to 20 pounds in in water weight. And now it's like now with teams with goalies, what they do and they do this for sure in division one. We don't do it so much at the high school level, but in division one, probably D3 college hockey and the NHL, they like will weigh goalies before the game. And afterwards, they'll see how much weight they've lost, and they have to drink water to get back their water weight. So a little tidbit there. All right, second fun fact. Riders, 237 goals and 484 total points in the NHL are records for a player born in Newfoundland and Labrador, making him the province's most successful hockey player ever. Why do you think their Providence name is Newfoundland and Labrador? Could they just not decide? And like they had like this like big like town hall debate that went like five overtimes in an AHL game. And at some point they just threw up their hands and said, okay, we'll call it Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah. I have no clue. I just know the dogs, right? I'm, I'm assuming that's yeah. where the dog names come from. All right. Third yeah. thing. And third thing, not, not a fun fact, but just an interesting thing I saw in researching Ryder. He actually has a brother, Daniel Ryder, who is a very promising hockey prospect, but his brother, Daniel Ryder dealt with a long history of mental illness issues and reading about it, it's pretty sad. And I actually did find an interview where Ryder talks about his brother. But you just kind of wonder, too, how much of a toll that took on him. Because it said he tried to help him doing all this stuff. And who knows when that all started. But maybe that's kind of one of those things that was kind of weighing on him during his career, too. So I just thought that was an interesting. It's not a not a fun fact at all. But just it's kind of one of those things that you have to remember. Hockey players, NHL players are human, right? They all have other things going on. They're just like us. There's always issues and stuff going on. I think I have a couple of dots I'm connecting here. and oh, There's no way to segue from that. So sorry for the poor transition. But in the show Knight Rider, David Hasselhoff's name was Michael, right? His name was Michael Ryder, wasn't it? I don't know. I didn't. I just know the car's name was Kid. Yeah, I actually think his name was Michael Ryder. But okay, somebody looks. <laughs> All right. Michael Ryder's rookie card is a 2000 Young Guns, number 210. PSA 10 has a pop of two. And if you really want to know, the gem rate is 17%. <laughs> what is interesting about this card is that he is in his Quebec Major Junior Hockey League Hull jersey. That was the team, Hull. Okay. So, and I think that was like one of the first times I remember seeing a player's young gun in their basically Canadian or the Quebec Major Junior Hockey jersey. I don't remember seeing a, <laughs> a lot of other ones. Maybe I have. But that was one of the things that kind of stood out to me. The most recent sale of this card with the PSA 10 grade. Remember, the pop is two. However, there was a recent sale on September 30th, 2022, and this blew my mind, for $729.16 via eBay. And I did look it up and found it in Terapeak as marked as paid. So that was pretty interesting. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> Good for whoever had that card. Is his rookie worth more than a stamp coast? Oh, geez. Oh, no. My, uh, I don't know. Shots fired, what, I guess. I guess. 
the BGS 9.5 version of his Young Guns has a pop of three with a gem rate of 16%. I couldn't find any sales of the BGS 9.5. You can find raw versions all over the place. They range from anywhere from $3 to $15, I guess, depending on the day. That's what we got from Michael Ryder. Okay, we'll transition in the next segment, but while we do that, because this is killing me, can you look up and see if David Hasshoff's character name in the show Knight Rider was Michael Ryder? I'm pretty sure. I know it was Michael. I will look it up. I will look it okay. up. Okay, okay. Well, Troy, we are on the precipice of the NHL playoffs. The regular season is coming to a close, I believe, on Friday of this week. Can you believe that we've already made it through our first NHL season as a podcast? It's like we're almost there. The finish line's in sight. We started right at the end of the playoffs. I think it was in the Stanley Cup Finals. My memory serves me correct last year. Now, traditionally, the start of the NHL playoffs and really the start of the season represent what most people consider as the two best selling opportunities in hockey cards. So we wanted to kind of throw out, I think, some tips for from both the buying and selling perspective today, as I'm sure a lot of people are kind of ramping up in getting there, not only just for the expo, which happens to coincide too, I suppose, with the start of the NHL playoffs, but for what is really an exciting and should be a fruitful selling season of hockey cards. But before we get into that, it looks like you do have an update. And I, I do have an update, and we are just idiots. So what did you think his name was on the show? Well, Michael Ryder, I thought. Michael Knight, hence the ta- name Knight Ryder. Oh. It's a gong show. Even we can't get TV it's shows show. right. That's kind of right. That's kind of right. Michael Knight. I'll take credit for being right. Okay, so buying and selling tips as we get ready to gear up for the for the playoffs. A couple of reminders, though, before we get into these. There's a million variables, of course, that go into what a card whether it sells or what it ends up selling for. And so there's nothing that anyone like us can say that's ever foolproof or perfect advice. Hopefully, like anything we do, we just give you some stuff, like I said, to think about. I should say, too, one more thing that the stuff we're going to talk about, too, doesn't just apply to like power sellers or flippers or people that make their living. I think this kind of applies to anyone that might be looking to move a card or two. And this is one of the ways that I really fund my PC are find good opportunities to sell cards and make a little money and then use those purchases to, or the proceeds from those purchases to get more cards that that I want. In my opinion, Troy, as it relates to the playoffs, there's two really good selling opportunities. And I think the best is almost leading up to a series. So the day before a series, we'll have a bunch of playoff games Monday night. So I think that's the coming Sunday it's going to be a really good opportunity to move cards for players that are in the playoffs. That's a big distinction we should make too, right? Is that if you've been eliminated for playoffs, like Elias Pettersson is a great example, just scored his 100 points, which is awesome and exciting. But after in a couple of days, he won't have a game for what, four months? Mm-hmm. And his pricing is only going to go down in the interim. And it's probably, I would say too, the safest opportunity to sell because the day before a playoff game or series starts, it's all excitement. Everybody has hope. Nobody's dreams have been crushed by losing 7-1 in the first game. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of people looking for cards of their favorite players to kind of load up during that time. If you have some cards that you want to move of people in the playoffs, I would be looking at the schedule right now and throwing those cards up and be either having your auctions end on Sunday night if they have the first game Monday or you know, act correspondingly to whatever the, the schedule is for where their series starts. But would you agree, though, that a great time to sell cards is really on the 
precipice or on the doorstep of that game one when anticipation is probably at its highest. Yeah, definitely. Any series, too. I mean, if the player even coming out of a series had a really good series and going into the next one, the hype just kind of builds. For sure, that's a great time to move cards. Like you said, I do the same kind of thing. I have my cards by player just so I (laughs) know where they're at. And if someone has a really good playoffs, maybe I'll pull them out before the next series starts and try to move them. Well, and I think that's the other really good opportunity that can exist, too, is is so not just right before a series starts, but and the windows here are small. Mm-hmm. If you have a player that, let's say, Austin Matthews has a hat trick the first game in the Maple Leafs Lightning series, right after that is going to be that night is going to be a great buying opportunity. So one of the the kind of selling things, right? Selling opportunity. opportunity. One of the biggest things in all this is just like you said, right? You got to be organized. Mm -hmm. You got to be ready. So right now, when there's four or five days left, start finding the cards that you think that you might want to move, research their values, understand what your pricing strategy would be, and then think about how you want to try to move these. Whether a lot of the kind of advice we're going to give is more eBay, because I think that's where you'll see a lot of the activity during these opportunities, but whether you're trying to sell on Instagram or other platforms, the biggest thing I think is just to be ready, be prepared, do your research, kind of know what you think the card is is going to move for. If you are using eBay or you're using some sort of auction platform, another thing to think about is your auction duration. Seven-day auctions probably are not the best idea during this time because a lot happens in a seven-day period. Yep. You could go from Austin Matthews scoring a hat trick to sorry, Leaf Sands, but it's a possibility out of the playoffs by the time a seven day auction is over. And, and so I would look at one day auctions, even maybe in some scenarios or three day auctions, probably your, your best bets. I think one important qualifier, I don't know if that's right word, Troy, or thing to think about when doing short auctions is I would probably only do that for cards that are more like commodity cards, cards that are highly replaceable, like a Young Guns, which people buy and sell every day. If it's a super rare Austin Matthews patch auto, that's out of 10. I don't think doing a one-day auction after a great game is probably your smartest idea. Mm -hmm. I might list it at a buy it now at a price that I want to get and see if I get any hits there. And so you you just got to really kind of, I think, balance. In all these decisions, there's trade-offs. So there's an advantage with going with a shorter auction, but there's some potential negative consequences to that, of course, too. And so I think for short auctions, I would stick to Young Guns, OPG Platinum, stuff that's kind of traded on a more regular basis. And people are more apt to pounce on probably stuff that's at a little bit lower price point, too. Would you agree with that? Definitely. One of the biggest, though, I think decisions you got to make, especially when it comes to eBay, is whether you go auction or buy it now. In the scenario of ramping up to the playoffs, Troy, do you how would you approach that? Like, in what scenarios would you do an auction? In what scenarios do you think that you would be more apt to use buy it now as your price as your selling model? I would actually, if it's something I just want to get moved, and I think I have an opportunity to move it quick at a decent price, I'll do an I would do an auction just because most of the time, if you do an auction, you're usually going to sell it if it's a good player that just had some a good playoff series. That's usually the differentiator for me is just really, do I want to get rid of this thing and move it? Then I'm doing an auction because more than likely mm-hmm. auctions are a lot of the times where you see where you can move stuff quicker. Buy it now. I mean, I, I do buy it now a lot. As long as you price it fairly, you should move it. 
But if it's one of those things where you just throw it out for a ridiculous number, it might sit there for a while. And then you might lose your window that you were trying to hit. I agree with that. I think the trade-off between the two is in an auction, you're going to risk more of what you end up getting for the car. It's more of a high risk, high reward scenario. But to your point, it's more likely to sell. And when we talk about risk in the auction, there's more downside risk, but there's also more upside opportunity too. Typically, you'll see, I think in these scenarios, cards at auctions will oftentimes sell more than the cards at the buy it now price. From the buy it now perspective, the risk is more just the card not selling, but you're trading that for less risk on getting a lower price than whatever the going rate might be, right? Because in an auction environment where there's multiple versions of the same card, there's going to be some are winners and some are going to be you know, fall on the lower end, I guess, of the results spectrum there and maybe not get as much as they want for their card. I think in in any case, and especially if you're doing an auction, though, it's really important to have good photos, have complete listings. Don't give any viewers or watchers of your listing a reason not to bid. Mm -hmm. Disclose, of course, any issues with the cards so you don't have to deal with returns either. But like we keep coming back to if you're smart, if you pick the right players, if you time it right, this is a really good opportunity to move some of these cards and really the last oppor- good opportunity that we're going to have for a number of months because mm-hmm. we're going to go really, uh, the pendulum will swing much more into a buying season, more more so than a selling season. Do you have cards that you're kind of planning to list during the playoffs? Or have you even thought about that yet? I more haven't thought about specific cards, but I do have... I do know, like, I went through and looked at all the teams today just to make sure I'm pretty well set on who made it, who didn't make it, who's still in the hunt. But, yeah, I, I will move some. I just know, don't know which ones yet specifically. Well, and kind of like you said, too, you do, you've do you done a lot of the pre-organization by how you meticulously organize your cards. And so it's really, in you being as organized as you are, it makes it easy to, on the fly, pick out some cards and yeah. throw them up either for an auction or... From a buy it now. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we're missing. Oh, and I guess the last thing is as far as like timing, like when should you sell your card? So again, I'll use my Austin Matthews example. It really comes down to how much of a gambler you want to be. There's probably more upside in round two than there is in round one, uh-huh. but there might not be a round two. So you really well, have to take that into consideration and, and kind of consider what your risk tolerance is. And the more you push, kind of for the biggest upside, the higher percentage chance that you're going to still have that card come July 1st. Well, and think right? about and, the think about the Austin Matthews scenario, Toronto. We kind of saw in our Instagram messages with our friend Coach Co talking about Toronto and how if they win a first round playoff game, the city might shut down and watch all the games. I think it's always good to think of this stuff beforehand versus on the fly when we tend to make impulsive decisions and really have a strategy for how you want to go about moving your cards. Because while there are selling windows, again, the big thing to remember is these windows are small and they close really fast. Just got to be ready to to act. On the buying side, I think the, the biggest thing that I would stress, Troy, is for, again, commodity type cards or cards that are highly replaceable, Young Guns, OPG Platinum, rainbows or sunsets or more like common type cards, I probably would not buy those Mm -hmm. over the next few weeks because the prices are going to be high. 
And inevitably, these cards that you can buy 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, why not just wait a month and a half and get it for maybe 30% less than it will be over the next few weeks? Where I think that a decision is going to come for a lot of people is, you know, smart sellers might list some really unique, more rare cards to coincide. Like we're seeing lots of McDavid cards right now, given Mm -hmm. he's dominated the regular season and been the sixth guy ever to 150 points. You might have to make a decision as a collector if knowing that, hey, I'm probably going to overpay for this card, given the timing that I'm buying at the height of the market. But if it's a card that I've always wanted that I know isn't going to come up again anytime soon, then you know you might want to go ahead and make that decision to pull the trigger. But at least you're doing it with eyes wide open, understanding that, yes, I am paying a premium and I'm doing it because this is the opportunity to buy this card. And I don't know when it's going to come back soon. That's the way I would look at it anyways, is to not hold off on cards that are more commonly and readily available. But then sometimes you might have to pull the trigger on those rare kind of grail PC pieces that you've been going after for a long time. Any other buying considerations that you might point out, Troy, before we move on? No, I think you hit hit the big points. It's exciting. It's an exciting time to sell. Hope you find lots of buyers. Yeah, I can't wait to watch and see kind of what passes, you know, onto the sales reports over the next few weeks, and especially as these series play out. And to me, one of the funnest things is these guys that come out of nowhere. It was last year when Jake Ottinger had, what, 60 saves in that yeah. game that they lost, where for the next day, his cards went totally banana. Uh, and I just love that hype and hysteria, I guess, that comes around this time of year. I'm so just, good luck uh, to everyone. I was going to say, I'm just imagining myself sitting in front of the TV with my 5,000 count boxes of players just <laughs> sitting there like in my lap, flipping through them as the games are going on. Yeah. Well, hey, well, good luck to everyone selling and hunting and good luck to everyone hunting for their PC items this playoff season. Okay. Troy PWCC is a gong show partner and sponsor. And of course we want to thank them for helping to make our show possible. Reminder that the April premier auction is now live and there are nine elite. I sound like PJ Fleck football coach for the Golden Gophers, where everything's elite. There's nine elite hockey cards that are available in this month's premier auction. You can go ahead and check them out at pwccmarketplace.com. Each week, Troy and I, you're Troy, I'm Josh, we pick out our favorite hockey cards in the current PWCC weekly auction that is now live and ends this coming Saturday night. We're going to go over those in a minute, but I do want to plug real quick our collaboration with Jeremy Lee that is typically weekly will be happening again this Sunday on Jeremy's Sports Cards Live YouTube channel at 8.30 Central Time, where we discuss and debate. And I guess by debate, try, I mean I ask dumb questions, and Jeremy schools me on especially vintage hockey cards. It's awesome. He does such an amazing job, and literally, it seems like knows everything about hockey cards. Uh, but we'll talk about all the cards closing in the weekly auction and give our thoughts and reactions to the closing prices and records that are set. And there's also a lot of audience participation, the way Jeremy does the show. So you can ask questions and he does a good job of bringing people into the show there too. So again, it's the Sunday night on Jeremy Lee's sports cards live YouTube channel at eight 30 central time. Okay. Troy, are you ready to dig into our favorites in this week's PWCC weekly auction? I'm ready. It's kind of funny as we go through this, I think both of us are trying to expand our horizons a little bit 
it's pretty easy each week, like on the vintage side, to default to like a 51 Parker's Terry Sawchuck rookie. But trying to zag a little bit from the obvious, this week I picked out a couple of cards that are more mid-career cards. And the first one is Terry Sawchuck that I want to highlight. It is a 1961 Parker's Terry Sawchuck. It's a PSA 8, Pop 75. So it would be what is 10th year card. It is a Pop 75. There's 29 PSA 9s. And two PSA 10s. If you're into collecting vintage hockey players, Hall of Famers, goalies, this is one that you might want to check out. There's also a lot of people that do player runs, Try, So they'll have like their favorite players or their pick a vintage guy, and they'll try to get every card that or every significant card that encompasses that person's career. A couple of things in this card particularly that I want to point out. It has Sachuk, and it's not like a portrait he's in. Troy, do you call it like the goalie pose? Or what do you call it like when they're in their gear and looking yeah, at it? Is there a term for that? That's just your stance. It's his stance. stance. He's in the and goalie stance. Back in the old days, like in the 50s, they they kind of hung their glove way down by their side, like almost straight down. Now when you see goalies, they're in bent knees, wide stances, crouched over. But it's it's really it is significant, or it's very telling of the time or the era the card is in, just by looking at what stance he's in. You'd think they would have a sore back if they were like (laughs) all the time. Are you looking at this card by chance? Because I want to point out the blocker. I am. It's just wild. Have you ever seen a blocker like that? Let me see it. I I was looking at it and I lost it. Hold on, let me bring it back up. It looks like a waffle maker. I found it. Yes, that is actually what blockers used to look like. They called them waffles. I mean, they were they looked like waffles. I had oh, really? those as a kid. I had a brown waffle. And you'll see now there are goalies that wear that same. It looks the same, but all it is is a printed graphic. And it's a throwback. It'll be brown. It's still all oh, the fun. new technology, but they've gotten really yeah. good where they can put basically any image a goalie wants on their pads, glove, blocker. But they'll put the waffle like picture on it. It's pretty cool. All right. Don't close it because there's something else I want to point out to you on that card. Okay. But one other comment I want to make on the front of the card is for a PSA 8, it has really good centering. And that's really important to me because it just, when I cards are really off centered, especially left to right, no. I find it very distracting. And so I think this card presents very well for a PSA 8. I guess, first of all, Troy, do you agree with that? Is, is centering a big thing for you? Or what are the things in vintage cards, if there are flaws, that I don't know if I want to say turn you off or. I think centering is the big one. Everything else I can live with. But when it's really off center, it's like, oh, I don't want you to call it like a 90 10 or something terrible. I just, I'm out. But I can live with a rounded corners. And like we've talked, you've talked about this on Jeremy's show a lot. Kind of like that when there's, you can tell it's old and kind of a little fraying on the ends and maybe some little bit of rounded corners. Obviously, love it when they're in high quality condition, like a PSA 8. But I also don't mind if there's some flaws in it. Patina, right? Mm-hmm. As yeah. they would call like in like car collecting or something like that. Okay. Look at the back of the card. I, I I saw that when I brought up the picture. I was like, "What is this?" It is super cool. It's like a like a comic strip almost on the back. But there's also something where you would rub a penny and presumably, I'm sure, ruin the card to find the punchline of whatever. There's like two oh, little cartoon that's awesome. characters that's cool. walking down the street. It is one of the better card backs that I've ever seen. So, kind of little cool, little neat feature about this card too. Okay, the 1961 Parker's Terry Sawchuck PSA eight top seventy five. Last sale was $330 US, right on the first of the year. All-time high, Troy, just a smidgen more at 336 US in September 2022. So really cool card. 
Hall of Famer. It is mid-career, but it's not going to break the bank. Just over 300 bucks. You got the next one. Did you want the current bid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. What's the current bid? 155 US dollars. And actually, I want to bring up something, too. I'm looking at the back. Boy, this joke. I want to know where it's going. It says, if she knows so much, how come she's only teaching grade two? I don't know what the punchline is because they didn't rub it Ooh. off. <laughs> but this car might be going to, to a space we don't want to go. Who knows? But yeah. I thought that was interesting. Oh, and, yeah. and for the record, before you get into your pick, me being just the sweetheart that I am, I saw this card and I thought, you know, I'll skip it because I bet you Troy wants to take it. So, oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, but you did You're it welcome. anyways. Because I got I got the next one. I got like, hey, guess what? We're back-to-back goalies. Okay, do it. And this one drew me to it because I believe this is the first time we've really mentioned this player on our show, Gump Worsley. The card is a 1953 Parkhurst Gump Worsley rookie card, number 53. It is a PSA 8 copy. Would you be happy if your nickname was Gump? I, I don't know. I actually do know why he was called Gump. We'll get to it. I'm sure you get into it. But I just don't think it like, helps you get the ladies. <laughs> I don't sure know. Me and an NHL exactly. player did at the time. I, and I was like, hey, yeah, uh, you should uh, you should hang out with my friend, uh, Gump. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> what, Gump, nice. Gump was a very interesting person. We'll just say that. I don't get into okay. it a lot, but let's just say he wasn't like, well, he was when the start of his career, but at the end of his career, kind of had kind of bigger guy, little little fun, but he's kind of funny. He has some really good quotes. If you want to look him up, he's kind of a character. All right, so let's look at the card again. Fifty-three Parkers Gump Worsley rookie PSA eight. The card, obviously, I just said it. PSA eight has a pop of thirty-two with only three graded higher. All PSA nines. There are no PSA ten copies of this card. If you look at the card, the picture, it looks really nice. There's really nice corners, nice centering. The picture on the card is actually, I think it looks fantastic. He's in no mask. This was a goalie that didn't wear a mask. In fact, Gump Worsley was adamantly opposed to wearing face mask. And I just wanted to If remind, your name is Gump, you're not going to wear it. Yeah, you're not wearing a mask. But this, again, you can tell the air of this card just because the goalie doesn't have a mask on. He didn't wear helmets. They were crazy back then. And the picture, again, vintage, the brown goalie pants. I don't even know what you call what he's doing. It looks like he came out of the net and he's doing a two, like a <laughs> two skate stop, which goalies really don't do nowadays. But it looks great. It's like a really cool little action. There's a, I don't know what you call it, uh, fake autograph or the replica autograph on it. Looks really, really cool. I This card is really nice. It just looks really nice. Presents well. New York Rangers jersey. He's got like, <laughs> just it looks got a sweet haircut. Got the flow going. I love it. Do you know how much the pads weighed back then? A lot. I know even when I so when I played as a kid in, and through high school, I know that like one of my pads weighed more than both pads do now. It is crazy how much pads of the technology's changed. These things, plus they were, you know, leather, they had feathers in them. They got wet. They got weighed down from the water. So it was a crazy time. They almost had really strong legs back then. You guess. All right, so that's the card. The card looks great. Check it out. Look at it. If you're a goalie collector, a Gump Worsley collector, a Parker's collector, this would fit nice, nice into any collection. But since we, this is the first time we mentioned Gump Worsley on our show, I wanted to learn a little bit more about him. So really quick, Hall of Famer, four-time cup winner. He was the 1952-53 Rookie of the Year. Two-time Vesna winner. Played 860 regular season games in 21 NHL seasons. 
career stats, 333 wins, 348 losses, 140 ties, 2.87 goals against, 0.914 save percentage, 43 shutouts. Playoff stats, 40 wins, 26 losses, 2.78 goals against, 0.911 save percentage, 5 shutouts, and 70 playoff games. All right, Josh, his actual name is Lorne John Worsley. Nickname was Gump, which was given to him because his friends thought he looked like comic strip character Andy Gump. I did not look up comic strip character Andy Gump. That's what the uh, nickname comes from. And now I got to do the good Minnesota thing. Josh, one of the minor league teams Worsley played for was the St. Paul Saints of the United States Hockey League in 1950-51. He also finished his NHL career with five seasons with the Minnesota North Stars. In addition, Worsley played for the New York Rangers and Montreal Canadiens. So there's a little bio. Little bio of Gump Worsley. Current bid on this card is 975 U.S. dollars. Very cool. Uh, obviously, important player in the game, and those 53 Parker's cards are all yeah, pretty they're nice. They're great. So we're going to go from the nickname to Gump to another vintage player that has a nickname. This one is Mr. Hockey. So now, Troy, would you rather have the nickname Gump or Mr. Hockey? I think I'll go with Mr. Hockey. Me probably, too. Of course, I'm talking about Gordie Howe, another mid-career card. This is a 1965 Pops Gordie Howe, PSA 8. It's a Pop 65. There's eight PSA 9s, zero PSA 10s. Such a cool-looking card, in my opinion. It's kind of very mid-60s vibe, like where things were still prim and proper before all heck broke loose and we got into kind of the flower power era where self-expression and crazy colors and clothes and all that stuff started to happen. The funniest thing I always think about with Gordie Howe is, did he look like he was 60 when he came out of the womb, essentially. He his always looks old in his pictures. Always. Yeah, I'm thinking of like his like third grade class photo where he you know looks like a 50-year-old man or something like that. Because he still had a, a lot of... I mean, he's a little bit older, I guess, by the 1965, but 14 years into his career. But, he, man, he looks like he's 70 in this photo. It is a really great pose, though. It is a portrait, which I don't typically like, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like a side angle where he's got actually a really nice smile. Oh, um, I don't know. I, I just think it's a really kind of neat card. Again, if you're a player run collector or you want, you know, a really nice Mr. Hockey card, but don't have a Ferrari payment to <laughs> to buy one or what a Ferrari costs. I'm basically a 1951 Parkhurst at a, at a PSA 8. I don't know how much it goes. Anyways, it, it's just a really nice card. There's one thing, too, that I found really interesting about this one. So there's actually two cards for Gordie Howe in the set, and they're very, very similar. It's almost like one's a parallel. So the one in the PWCC this week is number 108, and we'll call it, for lack of a better term, his base card. But then there's card 122 that is all the same, except there's a little call-out or burst on the card that highlights that he's the first guy to ever get 600 goals in the NHL. Hmm. They they both sell for the same amount. I actually prefer the this one without that 600 goal call out. Cause I, I just think the, the image of Gordy Howe is so nice, but it's sort of potato potato in some ways. It, it kind of reminds me of a parallel, like a real early version of a parallel or something like that. The 1965 tops Gordy Howe PSA pops six, five last sold for 382 us dollars. It was also the all time high for the card. Do you know what the bid is right now? Try 
It is sitting at 175 US dollars. So again, another kind of real cool vintage Hall of Fame guy that is a few hundred dollars and won't break the bank. We're going to switch into modern cards now. And first card I want to highlight, Troy, is a 2013 Panini Sidney Crosby Blue Prism PSA 10 Pop 9. I'm just a sucker for Prism Hockey, especially getting the color Prism ones. They just pop so much. And because they were only printed for, what, two years, they just feel so exclusive to me in many ways. And that these sets just keep, these two years just keep growing and growing on me. Unlike today, where if you think of like modern Panini Prism sets, whether it be football or basketball, where there's a billion parallels and you can't even keep them all straight. Actually, in 2013, there wasn't a lot of parallels. There's only eight in Prism Hockey. Five of them, Troy, were actually retail. And this Blue Prism PSA 10 Pop 9 was a Walmart exclusive. Actually, it wasn't numbered. There are actually only three numbered hobby exclusive parallels for Prism in 2013. It was there's an orange die cut out of 50, a gold out of 10, and the finite one of one. Technically, I, I should mention, too, there was one other parallel. It was a Cracked Ice VIP Prism that was a Fall Expo exclusive that year. But you had to be at the Expo, so I'm sure those are very, very short printed. Like I mentioned, the Blue Prism parallels are not numbered, but the PSA 10 as a Pop 9 means it's pretty rare. And there's only been 16 graded total. So there's nine PSA 10s, five PSA 9s, and one PSA 8. Of course, Crosby just reached the 1500 career point mark, becoming the 15th player to do so. So his legend continues to grow. I think cards like this are, in my opinion, just awesome to own and a pretty good investment. Troy, there's 10 sales in Card Ladder to date for the 2013 Nini Prism Sidney Crosby Blue PSA 10. The top sale being 326 US on December of 2021. Most recent sales on March 4th this year for $225. I think if you're a Crosby collector, and this is pretty cheap, actually, and I could, you know, who knows, but this is a card that uh, I actually would be pretty interested in owning too. Do you have the current bid? 54 US dollars. Oh, wow. Might have to go and place a bid. Nobody bid. <laughs> Only me. Okay. I got to set up this next one. How long have we been doing? Since early December, we've been doing these PWCC previews. If you ever were going to take our advice to go to PWCCMarketplace.com, go to the weekly auction, and look at the card that Troy is going to talk about, do it. It is insanity. It is wild. It takes a couple minutes for your brain to calibrate as to exactly what you're looking at. And I think, Troy, I don't know. I can't wait to get your opinion. It is my favorite card we've ever had in the PWCC weekly auction. So with that, me uh, pumping your tires a little bit there, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, it is quite the card. And you told me, go look at this card. I'm not going to say anything. Just go look at it. And I looked at it, and holy cow, it's another Sidney Crosby. So we're going back-to-back. So we had back-to-back goalies on Vintage. Now we're back-to-back Crosbys. It is a 2003 Campione de Futuro Sidney Crosby rookie, number 11, PSA 10. Gem Mint, it is just, you have to look at this card. It is. Where some, do we start to even describe I don't know. I'll, I'll try to go go through my, when I looked at it, when I just kind of thought it, because I wrote down some notes. And the card, obviously you said something, but it caught my eye. The minute I was scrolling, I knew exactly what it was. I saw it. I was like, holy cow, look at this thing. So let's, looking at the card or doing some quick research, it looks like the card was an Italian set. 
that honors future champions. So if you look at the set checklist, it includes athletes from all over the place, variety of sports, basketball, tennis, golf, bunch of bunch of players. So the card itself, we got hockey, okay? It's got a Canadian flag. It's Sidney Crosby. The card has a red background. But you also notice if you go look at the set checklist, there's versions of this card that have a like a blue sky background, and there's also gold parallels as well. So just something to know oh. if you're looking at this, there's actually two other copies. You know, there's the red background, the blue sky, and then the gold parallel. And we should probably note it's a smaller card. It's yeah, almost like tobacco, tobacco size. I, yeah, I got that in here. The, it's okay, a toba- I'm sorry. No, it's a, it's a tobacco size card. The card being a PSA 10 and having the red background, there's a pop of 20. So that's where we're at, like kind of the overview of it. However, I cannot get past the picture. I look at it and my brain just cannot process what is going on with the left side of his helmet. <laughs> it's seriously like my brain glitches when it sees it. I have no idea if that's a shadow, if it's part of his helmet, part of the background. Is it a puck flying by his head? I don't know what it is. There's, it kind of looked like a horse jockey the first time I saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Does some, that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Totally makes sense to me because you got the strap hanging down. It just looks like something is going on with the left side of the picture. Maybe someone will write in and be like, well, this is what it is. And then my brain will get it. But I look at it and my brain just glitches. I just don't know what's going on with it, which this actually makes me like it even more because it's more unique and more crazy. So check it out. Look at the left-hand side of the picture and you tell me what's going on. He looks like he's like four oh, years old. Looks like he's super young. And the card, you know, the card itself, it looks in fantastic condition. Obviously, it's a PSA 10 tobacco sized card. This is a card that I think if you're someone who collects every Sidney Crosby or you're just looking for something off the beaten path, maybe you collect unique, weird cards you don't see all the time. This is something that you could bid on. It's, I don't think it's going to be that expensive at the end of the day. I did do some research. A PSA PSA 10 copy of this card sold on eBay on March 23rd of this year for 225 US dollars. However, I did find another PSA 10 copy sale on eBay. Both of these are in therapy on March 18th of 2023 for $69 US dollars. So for $70, would you not instantly buy this? I would buy this. If it was a buy it now for 70, I'm in. I'll buy it. It is just, it is a very unique card. I should say, I didn't mention this in my notes when I was writing this stuff down. You look at the back and it just says, has a nice little, I don't know what you call it, emblem of Campione de Futuro. And it's got the number of the card, but it's pretty basic back. There's not a lot of, you know, there's no stats, no bio or anything. Just a really, really unique card. Current bid, 82 US dollars. Ooh, already more than last sale. No, last sale was 225. There oh, was, okay. There was one a week earlier that was $69. Oh, you're right. I think it's almost worth re- restating, too, that just how weird it is. But it's weird in all amazing ways. It's not like there's like some off the beaten path kind of dumb cards, like, you know, like by some like pork and beans manufacturer yeah. where it's like, okay, pork and beans, Wayne Gretzky. But I kind of want this card so bad. I know. It's- so, okay. You and me have to, we have to have a conversation about, I don't want to bid against you on this. So <laughs> sure we'll have an to. offline conversation as to who might be going after this card oh. but honestly if, if we do our job and alert people to this i kind of feel like this is gonna go for a big number because it is 
Well, let's this say so awesome. Yeah, let's say this: if we don't if we don't win it, or one of us doesn't win it on this. This should be like a treasure hunt at the expo to see if either of us can find this card. I don't care if it's raw, if it's graded, or anything. We got to do a treasure hunt see if we can find it. So the the bid went up because on our notes you had fifty four dollars as a current bid. So yep. somebody, gosh darn it. Okay. Well, it is the two thousand three Campioni di Futuro, Sidney Crosby, PSA ten, gem in. Last card we want to talk about in this week's PWCC Weekly Auction. I had to pick this out because not only is it a good card, it's one of my favorite inserts that I don't think in the 11 months of the show we've talked about one time. Maybe just like briefly, but it is a 2020 Skybox Metal Universe Nathan McKinnon Platinum Portraits, PSA 10. I really like the Platinum Portraits inserts. And as a guy who keeps saying he doesn't like portraits, I'm starting to question myself because every card I've been picking lately has been a portrait, but are you a fan of the platinum portraits that come out of metal? I am not that big of a fan. It reminds me of a dot matrix printer. Oh, really? I kind of think of light bright a little bit mm-hmm. with like, if you put like colorful lights behind it, how cool that would look, but all right, well, we'll agree to disagree. Troy. We don't have to agree on everything for gosh. Sake. <laughs> They're super tough chases. And correspondingly, then they get really spendy. So for 2020 skybox metal universe, Troy, the hobby slash EPAC odds, for a Platinum Portraits insert, were one in 840 packs. What the heck am I trying to say? Uh, terrible odds for blasters. One in 6,000 blaster packs. That's not good. There's 25 cards on the checklist, so if you want to think, well, what were the odds I would pull out of a hobby box? Nathan McKinnon, it'd be, what, 840 times 25? So a lot of packs. McKinnon Platinum Portraits PSA 10 is a pop two. Only three sales to date for this card, so it's Again, super rare. I believe it's also the first Platinum Portraits card for McKinnon. And Troy, all McKinnon's done to follow up his, in winning his first Stanley Cup last year, is have a career best 107, 107 points to date this year. It's also his first season with more than 100 points. The Avs are also looking poised to make another cup run in the wide open Western Conference. So maybe I'm assuming there's going to be more interest in the upcoming weeks in McKinnon as well. As I mentioned, there have been three sales to date of this card, a raw one sold in February of 2022 for 472 US. A few months later, another raw one sold for 307, so sharply down there. And then a PSA 8 this December sold for 150 US. I'm sure the PSA 8 played a factor on that. Superstar players for this card, like I know McKinnon's a star, but you get up there in like the Gretzky McDavid realm, they get pretty pi- pricey. The high sale to date for any platinum, platinum portraits card is a 2021 Metal Universe Champions Gretzky PSA 10 that sold for 3050 last October. That's a lot. And actually, if you think about it, as much as people might not have liked in Metal Universe Champions, the fact that everything was unlicensed, that Gretzky, because it's basically the cool card is a portrait of your face. Mm-hmm. I don't think the fact that that's, there's real no logo opportunity anyways from an NHL team. So that's why... I, it didn't surprise me that that card sold for that much. But going back to McKinnon, what's the current bid on the 2020 Platinum Portraits PSA 10? 120 US dollars. Yeah, pretty good deals right now. All right. Remember to go to pwccmarketplace.com to check out the six cards we highlighted and the 280 some other ones that are in the auction. Some uh, lots of other good options too. Want to get into hobby news, Troy? First, we got to start with our injury roundup and our Kale McCarr watch. He's still out. Listed as, I think, day-to-day, no definitive return date has been set. 
but he is skating with the team. So, so I suppose that's a, a decent sign. It's a lower body injury. I'm sure he'll give it a go in the playoffs. It's just going to come down to what percent his health will be and if he can avoid re-injury or aggravating his current injury, that sort of thing. So not ideal from an av- avalanche perspective. It's really the only big injury note that I found. We have a couple of uh, debuts, Troy, to talk about. Golden Gopher and Hobie Baker finalist Matthew Nyes made his Maple Leafs debut. Played a couple games now. He had a tough end to his collegiate career with the Gophers, getting a beat up by Quinnipiac for the, in the national championship game, then also losing out with his buddy Logan Cooley to Adam Fantilli for the Hobie Baker Award on a second place. I don't know. I didn't see the final Hobie Baker voting. If I didn't see it either. Cooley was, would have probably been second. Nyes is 20 years old, finished his final season with the Gophers with a pretty good 21 goals, 21 assists for 42 points and 40 total games played this season, including the regular season for the Gophers and postseason play. As I mentioned so far, he's played two games with the Maple Leafs and registered his first point. I think last night, Troy, getting the primary assist on a Ryan O'Reilly goal in the Maple Leafs 4-3 went over the Lightning. And I think, too, when you're talking about these guys, like from a hobby perspective, the big thing is that they're on ice mm-hmm. in their jerseys. So that makes them young guns eligible. Now, whether I doubt it would be extended, but guys could be a maybe a Series 1 candidate or Series 2 candidate next year. Awesome to get him uh, on the ice. Lots of expectations come in Toronto. I, I don't know how big of an upside Nice has, but it, it is a little bit of a sink or swim market. It was asking a bunch of people in Toronto kind of what the vibe is. and. The gist that I got is that they get excited about anyone, but it's kind of like New York. It can be a tough market if you don't perform well. Yeah. So, or even if what, even going. if you do perform well, it's like, what have you done for me lately? You had six games sure. of no goals. You stink. And I can't believe you let the opportunity go to mention Ryan O'Reilly and say we got O'Reilly during this episode. We got O'Reilly yeah. again. We're always O'Reilly. The guy just can never, ever, ever not be there. I guess is the way I'll put it. Okay, Trey. Luke Hughes also made his NHL debut. For the New Jersey Devils, joined his brother Jack. Another case of a big prospect hitting the ice and becoming young guns eligible. And I think you mentioned this on our last show. It is sort of wild about the NHL how literally you're playing a college game <laughs> one day and then you're in the NHL the next day. It doesn't really happen. I don't think in really any other sport, right? Where the, the transition is so quick at this time of year. I guess any other sport I can think about. It was at first. I think there was some doubt whether he was going to even play much, but they did get him into the game last night. So it would have been Tuesday night. It sounds like for everything I read, he did pretty good. Didn't score any points, but had a couple block shots, looked poised out on the ice, created a couple turnovers, that sort of thing. So he actually might get some playoff run. I guess the much anticipated debut for Luke Hughes and another guy who now is young guns eligible. Meanwhile, or erstwhile, I guess as I want to say, his older brother, Jack Hughes, Troy just set the New Jersey Devils single season record for points with 97. The 21-year-old phenom now has 43 goals, 54 assists for 97 points on the season. Does it surprise you that a Devils player has never scored 100 points? It does. I just, I always think every team has at least one guy that got 100, except for like Arizona or something, someone newer. The record was 96 points held by Patrick Elias in the 2000-2001 season. And your guy, Troy, Zach Parisi, had 94 points for the Devils in 2008-2009. Parisi also had 45 goals that year. 
His best season in Minnesota was 33 goals, which figures. Yeah, he had that great season in New Jersey, and then guess who signed him to a huge contract? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it was exactly the next year, but it had to be right around there when we got Something him like as a that. free agent. Okay, so back to Jack Hughes. Very, very impressive season for a 21-year-old. I think the biggest thing for him this year is healthy, playing in 77 games so far. His first three years, Troy, in the NHL, he played 61 56 and 49 games respectively. And uh, of course, what's the best ability in sports try availability. There you go. Last week on our show, we suggested that Stusla, another 21 year old or well, he's 21, but is playing his 20 year old season or might be a little under the hobby radar. And since him and Hughes are roughly the same age, I thought it'd be fun to do a quick comparison. So Hughes again has 43 goals, 54 assists, 97 points, 21 years old. Stutzla, 38 goals, 50 assists, 88 points, 21 years old. Definite edge, of course, to Hughes, not only in points, but in playoff relevancy, but a couple of very, very enticing young stars. Again, going back to Hughes, Troy, do you think that there is he a candidate for you to have a little bit of a hobby run if they make some noise in the playoffs and he plays well? Oh, definitely, because he's got everything we want. He's got goals. He's young exciting if he can make some playoff a nice playoff run definitely some upside there Hughes is a 2019 young guns his psa 10 try is pop 3102 i didn't stutter i'm three he's coming for kaprizov he's coming for kaprizov and only a 75 percent gem rate oh, so geez. this card last sold for 251 us on april 11th it's up mass somehow 13 percent <laughs> in the past three months this is not a card I would probably invest in. I, I might be, if I were looking for Hughes cards, PC is fine. If you just want to have a young gun, PSA 10, and you're not worried about whether it goes up or down, I get that. But the pop gem rate combo here is not a great recipe for long-term value. It's crazy given 3,102, 75% gem rate. I would find maybe more scarce cards like platinums or stuff like that. Well, Troy, so we've talked about Luke Hughes and Jack Hughes. It would be criminal at this point not just like rolling yep. a Quinn Hughes. Just bring up right? Quinn. Let's, let's just, do it. Let's do it. Brother Quinn, as I like to call him, has had a, a decent year, too, with the playoff-eliminated Vancouver Canucks. The elder Hughes, who's 23 years old, is winding up his fourth NHL season, set career high for points with 73. Only, 70, only seven goals, though, in those 73 Ooh. points. He is a defenseman, but still not a lot of goals. So, Troy, his 2019 Young Gun PSA 10, this is Quinn Hughes, top 1,557 with a 62% gem rate, last sold for $85 US on April 11th. It is down 12% in the past three months. That is a crazy pop, 1,557 mm-hmm. for a player who has had seven goals this year. Good player. I just don't know. Like, This is one of those guys where probably won't have the – just not the type of player that produces enough goals, I don't think, to be super hobby relevant. But Young might find the scoring touch. Okay, Troy, finally, we just got to, I think we just got to keep rolling and let's just get to the guy quick who can't decide which Hughes brother he is. So that, of course, would be Jack Quinn, who still plays for the Sabres. And you can get his 2022-23 Series 1 Young Gun raw for about $10. US The 21-year-old honorary, Hughes' brother is in his first NHL season. He has 14 goals, 23 assists, 37 points, and 75 games played. Are there any other Hughes family members well, at this I point th- we need to cover? I think there's another brother, and I'm going to 
I'm going to say something right here before I get the anger, or not the angry emails, but the emails trying to correct me. I know the Arizona Coyotes used to be the Winnipeg Jets, and yes, the Jets had 100-point goal or 100-point season scores. I'm just saying for the Arizona Coyotes in Arizona when I said that comment. I don't want any angry emails. I'm sorry. I know they were the Jets. As long as we're in the disclaimer mode, too, just in case anyone ever thinks we know Jack Quinn is not a huge brother. But it's a it's an inside joke. You would have to have listened to our show yeah, wow. the last six months. Okay, moving on from the Hughes's, got to talk about Eric Carlson. Try got to a hundred points, a lot of points, especially for a defenseman. He is, in fact, the first defenseman since Brian Leach in 1991-92 to reach the 100-point milestone. So, in 91-92, is that about the time you had your Minoam Riom? Poster on your wall. I had the poster on the wall then. Oh, there we go. So that's since Brian Leach in 1991-92. In fact, he's the sixth defenseman ever to score 100 points in a season. A huge, so huge, huge season for a 32-year-old, Eric Carlson, who's in his 14th year in the NHL, where on the season he has 25 goals, 75 assists for that adds up to 100 points. The 25 goals is also his career high. Best season prior to this Troy was in 2015-16. For Ottawa, where he had 16 goals, 66 assists, for 82 points. And finally, for his career, he has 178 goals, 582 assists for 760 points and 918 games played. 32 years old, so of course on the back half of his career. But what a renaissance huh? Mm-hmm. this year's been for him. And I guess, thankfully, if you're a Sharks fan, there probably hasn't been much to be excited about or cheer about or talk about. This year, so I guess good for them from that perspective. I am a little disappointed though that, and I, I didn't even take the time to go back and look why. Why wasn't he a trade candidate at at this point, given his age and where the team's at? Does it make a lot of sense for him to be I'm there? I'm wondering if be, his, for his age, if his contract's just too much for a team to take on at that age, or if he had a no move clause, or if he's I, yeah, I have no clue. I don't know if he's a free agent at the end of this year. I have no clue what his contract status is. Wouldn't it have been sweet, though, to have him on a playoff team right now, given the year he's had? And I, I got to throw in here, too, and put you on the spot a little bit, because we were actually having an off-air conversation about him the other day. And he seems to be the front runner for the Norris Trophy. But you found some, you saw an article that was uh, very anti-Eric Carlson for the Norris well, Trophy. I, yeah, and I hope part of me wants him to win it just for the debate that will come up. Because if we look at, so I was referencing, there's a writer for The Athletic, Dom Lushizen, who does a lot of awesome stuff, and I really love his analytical work. And he ranked the Norris Trophy rankings, basically. He had Carlson, I think, at seventh. And I believe Adam Fox was his number one. And he breaks down why and Carlson. Mm -hmm. And basically comes down to, Carlson is not a good defenseman. He's not a defensive defenseman. He is a fourth forward that just they stick at defense and call him a D-man. This is what it comes down to. I don't know. I love the debate. I think it'll be, if he does win it, I think it'll be a lot of debate if he should have won it. Because we know now it's points, goals, drive a lot of stuff. So I will be very curious. Do I think he's going to win? I'm going to say no and leave it at that. Really? I think he's going to win by landslide. I actually saw on the NHL on their Instagram, they've been doing some polling I don't know of who, but and kind of showing who gets the mo- who's getting the most votes right now. And I think they have him, whoever they pulled, 
winning. But yeah, like you said, debate is always fun. Well, it, good, yeah, it's so. like how do you interpret the wording of that award? I can't remember exactly, but it's like best outstanding what defenseman uh-huh. at his position. And if you say he's a, if all these analytics show he's a terrible defenseman, it's just it's very it's a very it's a very fun debate. We shall see. Okay, we got to talk about the Boston Bruins for a second. They just set the NHL season record for wins and points. So their magical regular season is culminating with the now new record. They're at 64 wins and 133 points. They probably have a game or so left, too, to build on that. Troy, the previous regular season point records was held by your Montreal Canadiens, who had 132 points in 19... 7677. So you got to be pretty disappointed that the record was broken from your favorite team there. <laughs> they scored 300 goals so far Troy, which is the second most of the Oilers who have 320. And the Bruins have only given up 173 goals, which is the fewest in the NHL, so they have a plus 127 goal differential. It's a lot. The their biggest weakness if they have any Troy this year has been shootouts where they're only 4 and 3. So I guess good thing for them there's no shootouts in the uh, yeah. NHL playoffs, huh? Here's my big question for you. So we know a Stanley Cup run would result in short-term bumps for a lot of their key players, Allmark, Patrice Bergeron, Charlie McAvoy, et cetera, Jeremy Swayman, et cetera, et cetera. But do you think another Cup win this season added to the regular season that David Pasternak has had would be enough to permanently kind of put him in that hobby superstar category where his name rolls off the tongue when we're mentioning like the Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes and McDavid's and Crosby and Ovechkin or is there is he just kind of stuck in that why doesn't this guy get more love department forever I hope it would it is criminal how under undervalued is the bad word it's it's just criminal his hobby love right now dude is 26 or 26 years old in his ninth NHL season he just scored 60 goals, 111 of points. He is, I would hope so. If he wins, like, no, if he wins a cup, another cup, right? Or is he, not, no, he hasn't, has he won one yet? No, he has not won a cup. Oh, okay. With Boston. So, yeah, if he, if they can win a cup, I think that pushes him up. Maybe not into hobby, hobby superstar. Maybe he needs another 100 point season or another 60, 50, 60 goal season. But I hope he would get him right to that cusp because it's, the guy's awesome. So, by the way, his Young Guns is 2014. It In the PSA 10, top 165. Did last sell for $1,280 US dollars on April 10th. It is up 28% in the past three months, so people are, are gravitating mm-hmm. to it. And I know what's going to happen is the minute you say, well, his Young Guns sells for almost $1,300, how can you say he gets no love? Okay, here's my, I guess, defense of that and to the audience. See if it even works on you, Troy. But it's a pop 165. Mm-hmm. McDavid's Young Guns PSA 10 is pop like 2,500, right? Is McDavid's Young Guns PSA 10 was pop 165? That would be what? A $30,000 yeah, yeah, card? Yeah, it'd be way up. So, something like that. And so, I mean, this has to be like the lowest pop on a Young Guns for any guy of his stature that's, you know, played in the last seven, eight years. I wonder what the print likes runs were like in 2014 too. Yeah. I wonder how many raw ones are out there where this number could even increase or how likely like to double to even mm-hmm. 350, something like that. But okay. Put that aside. His $1,300 young guns. I think that the biggest factor is when you look at like 
where his position in the hobby is, I would point to total sales. And they're actually fairly anemic, is what I would call them. So if you look at like Card Ladder and go over the last 30 days, there's been 357 Pasternak cards sold. So you compare that to Lafreniere, who's at 524. Byfield, 348, right? So just a couple short of Pasternak. And then on the other side of that, Austin Matthews, 776, and McDavid at 2,600. His Pasternak has never made our top 25 player list for total cards sold in a month since we've been doing it for eight months. I get it. His Young Guns is worth 1300 a box, but there's just not a lot of people chase this guy. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense because he's, you're right, he's 26. His season is 60 goals. And what is he at? 110 points, something like that? Yeah, uh, 100, 111. 111. He's on the best regular season team ever. Yeah. Right? In NHL history, it's a huge market. It's an original six market. It's kind of befuddling. It's a word that I would use. I think if they win the cup, that it could move him up a peg. But maybe I'm being optimistic. Okay, Troy, we're going to roll into new product releases. Big news over the last couple of days. We did finally get the 2021-2022 SP Authentic checklist. It's out. Go to your favorite spot. I guess it's usually Beckett or Cardboard Connection people go to. So it does look like April 19th will be the release day. I love it when new products release at the <laughs> expo. And hopefully there'll be kind of a fun vibe around it there. I am seeing Troy 250 US dollars for pricing in the USA and 280 Canadian. So I looked at Damon Adams quick and for US and Paul Sanchara for Canada. Again, you do the conversion at 280 Canadian, that's 208 US dollars. It seems like the strength of the dollar makes it very tempting and appealing to buy wax in Canada in the next week. Probably hold off. But I don't know what it'll end up being at the show. Yeah, we'll have to you see. never know what they'll do there. So again, April 19th, the hobby box configuration is to get two autographs per box. Hopefully, <laughs> I'm assuming they straighten that out. There's one Spectrum FX bounty card per box. So this is a product, again, that has its bounty program. One autograph Future Watch Auto rookie card per box. Eight limited red cards per box. Seven regular pageantry cards per box. I guess that's the basic configuration. But of course, the big thing with SP Authentic is autos and of course, future watch autos. This uh, isn't a mass show, Troy, but I did count 100 future watch autos on the checklist, which is a lot. I went through them with a fine tooth comb and I kind of put them into tiers of the 100 in my top tier. I have so like these are cards that you're going to be like really excited to pull. I have Cole Caulfield, Trevor Zegras, Jeremy Swayman, your guy, Troy, Mo Sider and Mason McTavish. Would you agree those are probably the top ones? Yep. And then in my second tier, I got Lucas Raymond, Logan Thompson, Dawson Mercer, Shane Pinto, Cole Perfetti, Seth Jarvis, I guess Quentin Byfield, and then Spencer Knight, and maybe William Eklund. So that gives you 14 that I would be happy to elate it if I pulled the like a Cole Caulfield. Break out the uh, supercomputer here for a second, Troy. That, uh, that gives you a uh, 14% chance of uh, hitting one of the first or second tier Future Watch Autos in a box. So just, again, a good reminder that ripping is for fun. Don't expect to hit the jackpot, of course, with every box you open or make a ton, make a ton of money, because that probably won't happen. There's more likely to get a lot of Joe Valenos and Brett Murrays than Cole Caulfields. You do, though, try to get two autos a box. So even if your Future Watch Auto isn't great, there is some other... Really good rookie autos and bad autos to chase. 
But before we get to those, I do want to stick with the future watch autos real quick. 76 of the 100 are inscribed, but now now we need to buckle up a little bit here, Troy. There's a couple of kind of interesting omissions on the checklist for SB Authentic. So when we're talking about inscribed, there is no Trevor Zegras, no Mo Sider, and no Lucas Raymond. Hmm. I wonder why. I have no clue. Maybe they were too busy and just want, had to get the autos and didn't want to write the extra piece. There's also some retro Future Watch autos. There's 2001, 2002 retro list with this 15 cards that are out of 90. Notables for that subset include McTavish and Swayman. There's 2011-12 retro, which is the larger subset. There's 80 cards on that checklist. Some are out of 99. Some are out of 499. So like a Cole Caulfield is out of 99. A Jeremy Swayman is out of 99. But again, on the retros, no Trevor Zegras, no Mo Sider, no Lucas Raymond. Should know too that beyond all the Future Watch, whether they're retro Future Watch autos or base Future Watch autos, there are Future Watch parallels that are not autoed. So there's a, I guess they're just Future Watch. Limited gold out of 99 and limited black 101. So you have your future watch autos, Troy. And then, of course, you have your future watch auto patches, your flops, which is why do, why do you think Upper Deck does where the whole like sports art industry is like rookie patch auto, where they love to flip flop like future watch auto patch ties in with the branding. Like the future watch is a big brand and future watch in most hockey collectors I mind equals rookie. Yeah. So they're back to, of course, there's both base and then there's a 2011-12 retro again this year. So I guess don't swap to don't stop till you flop. The base has 60 players in the checklist. They're, of course, out of 100. There is a Trevor Zegras one in this, thankfully, but there's no Lucas Raymond or Mo Sider Future Watch Auto patches. The 2011-12 notables for the retros are Caulfield, which is out of 25, Swayman out of 99, and Mason McTavish out of 50. It's kind of funny how they make in some of these like retro subsets too. The the serial numbers are all over the place. Yeah. I kind of wonder like how they come about. Maybe it's the agreement or cost or something like that. Lots of omissions for Zegras, Cider, and Raymond. That's probably going to be upsetting, especially to some Red Wings fans. It'll be upsetting too to people that don't go through the checklist and think that they will be in there just trying to base it oh, off yeah. of previous stuff. So. Hopefully you listen to the show or you are a person that checks the checklist. Always good to do. So on the vets and legends side with autos, just want to point out some highlights real quick and cool cards there. There's a 2001-2002 retro sign of the times. Biggest chases there, Troy, that are one in 9,260 packs. There's a Gretzky, Bork, and Tavares. There's a base limited autographs. Biggest chases there is one out of 6,471 packs. Where you, This is where you can get like current players like Ovechkin, McDavid, and Dreisaitl. There's an Immortal Ink, where there's eight cards on the checklist. They're all out of 10. So here you have Joe Sackick, Marcel Dion, Mark Messier, Mike Madano, Ray Bork, Steve Eiserman, Timu Solani, and then Gretzky. It seems like a lot of the Gretzky autos this year in SB Authentic are in all-star jerseys. So that's a twist. What's your preference? Does that bother you? Like, if you were a Gretzky guy, would you? What, what would be sort of the order of uniform that you would want to make? I'd rather have the NHL jersey, but I would like the All Star jersey if it's in the old, we'll say '80s, early '80s Campbell Conference orange. Yeah, where it's like orange. Yeah, Campbell down the like diagonally down the front with the stars on the. Oh, those are great. Then of course there's Sign of the Times and a number of Sign of the Times subsets. So check out. 
checklist on Beckett or Cardboard Connection for full details. But the base sign of the Times has 82 cards. Overall odds to get any of them are 1 in 30 packs. The biggest chase, though, is 1 in 7,695 packs. So this would be Bobby Orr, John Tavares again, Mario Lemieux, Connor McDavid, Steve Eiserman, and Wayne Gretzky. There are three-way sign of the Times, 12 cards out of 15, highlighted by Roy Sackick. There's a Roy Sackick. No, not a Patrick Waugh. <laughs> this is the late. Oh my God. Patrick Waugh, <laughs> Joe Sackick, and Peter Forsberg. And then Roy Sackick, <laughs> I guess. Then there's one with uh, Timu Solani, Saku Koivu, and Troy. Yep. Troy. I found it. Troy. Pecorini. Yep, that was the first card I that's the first card I highlighted on the checklist. How many cases you pre ordered? <laughs> None. I am buying the single if it ever goes for sale. Because there's only 15 of there them. Are 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you got to compete with Solani collectors and Koivu collectors. I don't know. I'm a big Roy Sackett fan all of a sudden. <laughs> so I might be looking for that. There's a sign of the Times eight way auto out of five, Troy. Gretzky, Bossy, Iserman, Waugh, Ray Bork, Paul Coffey, Mike Gartner, and Cam Neely. What's, what's the connection that I'm missing on that one? I have no there idea. There has to be a theme. Because when you start to get like Mike Gartner in there, again, no disrespect. Great player, but great players in the eighties, maybe. I mean, they all were yeah, really good in the eighties. There's a sign of the time decade. Super tough chase here. So the biggest one, story, biggest chase. Check this out. You ever seen odds this bad? One out of twenty four thousand packs. Mm. You can get Gretzky in a Blues mm. jersey, which is my least yep. favorite Gretzky. Yep. It's the turtleneck era that I'm just not. I, I would like to petition that we officially. Let, you know, dub that part of his career the turtleneck era. Because he, in every card, he's wearing a turtleneck. Joe Sackick, not sure if he's related to Roy Sackick <laughs> yet, but we're checking on that. Those are probably the two biggest ones. And then there's a, you had added the, or mentioned there's a sign of the Times Black Parallel that is Mario Lemieux with the Le Magnifique that he inscribed on yeah, there, right? That's why I think it's a, that, that would be awesome. That's pretty cool. Lots of interesting vet and auto autographs. I did mention quickly or before that there is a bounty program, Spectrum FX, 100 cards in it, basically one out of 10 packs. I think the first 50 bounty redemptions or people to redeem it receive gold, like out of 50 parallels, but you'll have to go to the Upper Deck Bounty website to check that out. I think it usually goes, they add the set Mm -hmm. when it's released, right? Right around that time. I think this one goes pretty fast, if I remember right, from last year. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. One of the biggest releases of the year. So lots of exciting cards on the checklist, Troy, I think. Uh, SP normally delivers with all the auto cards that you would want. Biggest head-scratcher for me, of course, is the Zegras, Cider, and Raymond omissions. And I guess the only other thing I'd say before I get your thoughts on it quick are, this is, again, the set I would love to see, like, some big, highly chased insert, like a downtown Color Blast Kaboom type deal. I think it would really enhance the product. Well, what are your overall thoughts on SPA now that we've seen the checklist? And is it something you're excited for? I'm excited to buy a couple boxes. Hopefully they are the cheaper price in Canada when we go to the expo. I'm glad there's a Pekka Rene card in there, even though it's out of 15. And I'm just glad mm-hmm. they included Roy Sackick this year. <laughs> Roy. Talk about him for hours. Okay, we need to make a quick mention for our partner and sponsor, Slab Sharks. Thank them immensely again for their contribution to making our show possible. The Slab Sharks weekly auction on eBay ends tonight, 
Thursday night. The day, of course, this podcast releases. There's some really special cards in this week's auction. We did our Instagram story posts again. Be sure to check those out and go and place your bids on those. It seems like every week their cards get better and better. So kudos to them for whatever they're doing to source these cards. If you did, if you're listening to this later and you missed the auction, well, don't worry. Once one of their auctions ends, another begins. And so it goes weekly Thursday night through Thursday to Thursday. So you can check it out at any time. You can go to slapsharks.com and get a link to their auction. If you're a Canadian card collector and you're looking to turn some of your cards into cash, we'd recommend Slapsharks for their eBay consignment services. They make selling your cards on eBay simple and really take away all the typical selling hassles and save you a whole bunch of time. You don't have to worry about listing the cards, timing the auctions, answering buyer questions, tracking down buyers for payment, and shipping. They also try ship to the U.S., so you can easily expose your cards to a much bigger buying pool. Hockey cards are on the come up here, we think, in the U.S., so it's a huge opportunity to get more bids and value for your cards. Again, check out SlabSharks.com for complete information on their eBay consignment services. Mailbag time. Good questions this week. Awesome questions. I was, I was get so paranoid when we sort of sent out the bat signal for mailbag questions that nobody's going to going to get like one. Get one. Well, I make this segment <laughs> short then. Yeah, it would make it short. But every week our listeners come through. So thank you guys for not only sending us questions, but really good ones and thought provoking ones too. Let's get into it from Twitter. Let's collect hockey. Thoughts on whether Upper Deck releases SP Signature Edition all-time future watch or even maintains the product. Seeing them refrain from 1997-98 veteran PMGs in 2021 I'm inclined to think they won't release vet future watches. However, future watch patch autos would be something dot, dot, dot. Okay, Troy, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, I love this question because I just read it and then I got all giddy thinking about the next iteration of SP Signature Edition Legends having future watch patch autos in it. I think that would be really... Maybe with a shorter name. Yeah, maybe with a shorter name. But that would just be sweet. And I believe, Josh, you correct me if I'm wrong, we were told that SP Signature Edition Legends won't be a yearly release. So we'll have to wait nope. for it. But given the response that it got, I feel like people really gravitated toward it. They liked it. I'm hoping it could be something I said comes out every three to four years. I don't even think it can come out every other year. I think it's one you stagger a pretty good amount of time between it just to get that hype and build up for it. Now, as for specific legend future watches, my feeling is if a vet already has a future watch. So like Mike Bossy, right? I have a future watch of him in this product autograph. I don't think you can really make another one, can you? Maybe you can do the patch version, but you can't just make another Bossy future watch. I think that would be kind of silly. It would seem to like yeah, it would make yeah, no defeat sense. the purpose. Now, what's going to be interesting, say this product keeps running for like, I don't know, say we're like 15 years from now, and you have guys that have future watches in the regular SP Authentic. <laughs> Do you give them a legend future watch also? that That's where I get <laughs> really my mind kind of runs around thinking, well, would that make sense? But maybe because it's an all-time future watch. I do. I love the idea of future watch auto patches for legends. Oh, that'd be sweet. Imagine a Gretzky. Yeah. Can I throw a curveball maybe in there? Or what if in two, three, four years from now, there's another legend set that comes out that's not SP? That's based Great. on I love you know, like OPG yep. Platinum. Yep. I would be all for it. Right. I'm all, maybe, yeah, maybe that's the play here. 
you just come out with legend editions, signature editions, or whatever you want to call them. Oh, that'd be cool. Because there's like definitely, I, can, I, mean, I think we've seen there's a group of people. I'm one of them that love legend stuff, legend stuff on newer mm-hmm. cards. I don't know, I don't know if we're a small group or what, but it seems like people really gravitated toward this product, like a Gretzky seismic gold or something like that. Bobby Orr seismic gold, be cool. Okay, Instagram Sauce Boss Cards. He has two questions, Troy. We always get a double question person every week. <laughs> love it. Does getting an auto graded add value to a slab? Oh, Josh, hold on. I got to interrupt you. Gretzky already has a seismic gold, so you can't have another. You can't have another one. He does. Yes, twenty eighteen nineteen OPG platinum seismic gold. Oh, I've learned we need to look. Well, those, you learn something every day. Yeah, it's like I've learned from our past mistakes that we need to look those up every time we say something like that. Like when I said, "What does that go for?" Oh, I don't know. I just found an image on e- eBay. Okay. Doesn't getting an auto graded add value to a slab? I think if it's an auto ten grade, it adds a little bit of value. I don't know if it makes a huge difference. And actually, I just kind of putting this together. So we did a one of our first sale posts for a Timmy Stutzla orange checker. Speaking of platinum auto, that was a PSA ten with an auto grade nine. And there's so a separate issue, but. The auto looks really nice. I'm not sure why it didn't get a 10, but the card sold for like $3,200. So I, I don't know if it even the nine mm-hmm. affected it that much. I think at the end of the day, if you get an auto graded and it's a 10, it keeps the buying pool the largest, right? Because uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to say this, but if the auto's a nine, there's probably a 10% of people maybe will be like, eh, I'm out. Or if you don't get the auto graded, maybe 2% of people will be like, why isn't the auto graded? I'm out. So it, just doing stuff like that or getting that 10 auto grade keeps your buying potential buyers list probably as big as possible. Is that a good way to put it? That's a good way to put it. And since I can't let this go, I got I looked it up. 2018-19 OPG Platinum Seismic Gold Gretzky Raw. Last sale was 405 US dollars. Okay, next question from, again, a second question from Sauce Boss Cards from Instagram. Is there a formula for raw versus PSA 10? Great question. Yep. I think you and I actually had disagree a little bit here. So I'm going to let you go first. Well, and yeah, I said historically, I think most of the thought has been that a PSA 10 is around five to 10 times the raw card. That's just what I thought I originally remembered. And a raw card is around a PSA 8 in value. However, that is a very, very loose rule. And the general guideline will not hold in a lot of situations. It really comes down to the player and the card. However, I, mm-hmm. I'm walking, I think I'm going to walk back by five to 10, maybe five times that six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times is probably a little too high. I was, I agree on the PSA eight being equivalent to raw. I always thought it was like two to four times, but honestly, Troy, I think that was like a COVID era. Yeah, thing. Hmm. I don't think, I think it's literally card dependent mm-hmm. and all over the board. Like you can't, use the same multiplier you'd use for a young guns and apply it to like a cup RPA. Uh, it's just not going to work that way. So you got to do your research. You got to go and find a bunch of comparable sales for both raw and PSA 10 and kind of figure out what the current multiplier is for yourself. I just, unfortunately I don't think there is a kind of standard rule of thumb that you can use right now. Okay. Next question from Twitter, Sebastian Engelhardt. Now that the 11 teams in the Bedard sweepstakes have been determined, which lower percent chance teams do you think would flip the hockey world upside down 
wouldn't it be insane if the Capitals were the first team to jump 10 spots and get Bedard and have Bedard OV for a few years? You want to take this one, Trey? I will. I think it would be, I agree 1000%. If the Washington Capitals ended up with Bedard, that would be insanity. And you would just have people screaming for Batman rigged it and all that fun stuff. I love mm-hmm. Daily Faceoff and their fall hard for Bedard <laughs> percentages. And they have them all ranked. And I wrote them all down. I'm not going to read them all. Just no, number one is Columbus Blue Jackets at 25.5%. I don't know if that changes. I didn't look what happened tonight in the NHL. It does because the day before it was it was Chicago. Then yeah, they went and they wanted to the yeah thirteen and a half percent. But he, like what he was saying in the question, the bottom tier teams will look. Philadelphia is at like six and a half percent. Washington six percent. Vancouver five percent. Detroit three and a half, and St. Louis is at three. And some of these, I can't remember which one. I think Montreal might have had where they're getting the pick from the Panthers or something like a lot in a trade. So there's stuff like that on this. But, yeah, I agree 100%. If Washington gets it, it's crazy. I think St. Louis should be really weird, too. But Washington, for sure, I think would cause the most just chaos and drama. To me, it's totally wild how costly some wins are right now for some of these teams. Like, again, going back to Chicago, with them thumping the Penguins 5-2, Troy, they basically cut their odds of getting Bedard in half in in that one win. So, And I know that you can't ever tell players to try to lose a game that that'll never work. Players will never do that because they don't care about Connor Bedard. But if you're like the GM of Chicago, I'm doing anything right now. I'm moving up the whole AHL squad. I'm signing Danny Heatley at 50 some years old and triple shifting him. I've got the e-bug goalie in the game and I'm doing anything I can to possibly lose. But that's just next question from Twitter. PSA slab collectors. Do you have other suggestions on where you can sell higher-end cards like an Ovechkin Young Guns PSA 10 besides eBay and their high fees? Uh, one of our sponsors, My Card Post, is a great option for that. You do, you pay a small subscription to be able to sell. It's like in the 9 to $30 a month range, but then you only pay essentially PayPal fees, like 3%. So on like an Ovechkin Young Guns PSA 10, that's a meaningful amount saved. The The other options are to kind of keep building up your social connections so that you have lots of people to reach out to, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook groups that there you can, you know, using again, PayPal, like goods and services, even for protections, you can sell cards without some of those fees too. Sometimes if, I don't know if it's on an Ovechkin PSA 10, but I know like PWCC and other auction houses, if it's a really, really valuable card, you can kind of negotiate Mm -hmm their rate down and they charge a buyer premium too. So technically you can try to get part the, of the buyer's premium if you want, if it's yeah, rare enough, have, then they want it. Yeah. So I, those would be my best options. Troy, you got anything? Yeah. I just wrote down like my slabs is another option. I obviously forgot to look at what the actual fee is for selling on there, but that's another site to check out. ComC. There's just so much stuff out there, but to get truly away from them, Facebook, Instagram, social media. Remember though, if you saw on social media, I don't know if you want to get vouchers, but just do PayPal goods and services. Don't ever do friends and family. Mm -hmm. Okay, next question from Twitter. Lots of Twitter questions. Joshua Wong, any tips on how to determine trade value versus cash value? So I had to think about this one for a little bit. And I I hope I have like the scenario right, because I think it is really setting dependent, Troy. When I think of trade value, I typically think of if I'm at a card show and I'm talking to a dealer and I want to try to acquire one of their cards and 
they may say, well, it's this amount of cash or X amount in trade. I think it what mainly comes down to there is that if you're selling or, or you're buying from a dealer or trading, whatever, they're going to want to make probably a margin on that. So I would think like 15 to 20% is usually what mm-hmm. they, so if you have a thousand dollar card, they would probably trade it for an $850 card or something like that. I'm not sure, you know, in some cases they might not want to do it straight up. Do you think that is the intention of the question? I think so. I think so. Just what, what, and that's what I would go to. I don't do a lot of trades plus cash, but I would say if you're at a show too, and you are talking like that and you can't keep all the numbers straight, just write them down. Don't worry what they think of you. <laughs> just write it down. So you have it straight in your head or in your mind before you try to sit there and try to memorize stuff and then, you know, get taken that way. Okay. Next question from Instagram, the sports card journey. Why do you think there's a lack of love for players in their national team Jersey? Is it, just a U.S. thing, or is Canadian preference as well? I know for a lot of people that the national jersey is the first experience we have with a player. Someone that comes to my mind is when I saw when I was a little younger. I saw Jordan Eberle in the World Juniors. He dominated that event, and it got me interested in him as a player. So I think that's really awesome. I, I don't. I just think collectors prefer the NHL jersey because it represents the highest level of play in all of hockey. That, that's probably the best I can come up with it. As an American, I don't, I don't exactly know what sort of the Canadian affection is for Team Canada. I assume it's a lot higher. Maybe the one exception from a U.S. perspective would be anything Miracle on Ice related. I know like signed jerseys and stuff like that typically sell really well. There's not a lot of hockey card related stuff. Uh, and actually, I'm just thinking, isn't it weird that there isn't like a limited logos like Miracle on Ice? Yeah, that that be kind of set. That's interesting. I wonder. I wonder why. I wonder if they have some in the storage unit. <laughs> they have those. They could. It's probably the Canadian thing because so yeah. many Canadians buy cards and they just. Well, you, I think you. Sure I think you know. I think Canadians are way more invested in like Team Canada jerseys than U.S. in U.S. hobby collectors like Team USA jerseys, unless it's Miracle on Ice. To me, I I'd rather have the NHL jersey unless it's a Miracle on Ice player. Or hold okay, on, hold question. on. I forgot. When we get okay. to cards we're looking at for the expo i will actually have a card that has a usa jersey that i'm looking for is that like the guy that was like roommates with some no no i am in sweden or no, something i have like personal okay. connection okay next question from instagram pye guy 11 will the hype around collecting base young guns ever stop especially when their print runs only seem to be going up well i think it could i mean things do change in the hobby right beckett at once was the leading grader and now they've slipped a little bit so i can't I don't think you can say young guns will always be as chaste as they are. But honestly, though, I think it's really good for the hobby that they are. If you think about it, young guns are accessible and they're reasonably affordable, plus desirable. So what a fantastic gateway for somebody to get into collecting hockey cards. I think as like some of us collectors get more, I guess, Troy, quote unquote, advanced in our collecting, maybe sometimes we do move away from young guns. But it doesn't mean, though, that they can't serve a great purpose, just even if you no longer collect them anymore. Sometimes I get puzzled by wh- why there's so much angst towards young guys. I think just because of the print runs. And yeah. like we, we talked about, though, if that worries you, just move on. Let's move on to the next thing. Move on to a rare yeah. card. But yeah, I like young guns from the exact standpoint you said. But I will say this. I think we've gotten a lot more messages and questions recently talking about young guns and kind of this why why do we gravitate toward young guns 
and people saying how they're going to move on from young guns. So yeah, it could change. I do think there's something too, though. Again, the more you learn about the hobby, the more you start to realize what the really purpose of young guns is. And again, it's me, it's that accessible entry point into the hobby. As we purposefully go through these players and say like a Jack Hughes, whose young guns is pop 3,102 with a 75% gem rate, you know, that we're trying to communicate to everyone that who card like it, but it, there's no way it's going to be a $20,000 card someday because there's just so many of them. And gem rate is a threat of even more coming. But again, it doesn't mean that they're not good. It's just that you have to look other places for, and going back to that word we talk about a lot, placeability. Low replaceability cards that have high desirability will ultimately get you the highest return down the road. Okay, Instagram, Judgy99. I am by no means a Canadians fan, but can't we all agree that Bedard to the Habs would be the best scenario for card collectors? So I'll start, Troy, and then I want to get your opinion on this real quick, too. I agree, Judgy, that it would maximize the value if you pull a, like a really nice Bedard card next year out of a set. But I, I don't think it's the best thing for the hobby. In my opinion, I'll state it again. I think Connor Bedard needs to be in the USA and in the Eastern time zone or Central time zone. Because that's the best recipe to grow the game of hockey, bring in new fans, and create more hockey card collectors. Uh, we just assume every person in Canada is a fan. And there's a lot, you know, so the really the growth opportunity is in the U.S. Troy, do you think the Habs are the best spot for him for the hobby, or do you have a different opinion? I want him to go to Chicago. That's where I think he should go. And that's tough to say, because us Minnesota people traditionally aren't super fond of the uh, Blackhawks. That was a big natural rivalry yep. for us for a long time. Next question, Instagram, Top Shelf Cookie Sniper 88 With the expo happening next week, are you guys attending? If so, what cards are you looking for? Also, are you on any panels or meeting listeners? Uh, we're definitely going. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. I think we're going to be on a panel or two, maybe. Still waiting for the details to be finalized there. And Really importantly, we would love to meet anyone that's going to be there. Would love it. It's awesome to meet people in person. I think the best way to message is to message us. Probably on Instagram would be the easiest, or you could one we probably check the most often. Just send us a message. Tell us you're here, and we'll try to find some time to meet up or a place to meet up because there's a lot of people personally. And we'll Troy let you chime in because you're going to have a bigger list. I still want. A, a Peter Stastny OPG PSA 10 and some other vintage. I'm kind of more on the vintage side than the modern, but I'm going open-minded. going to see what's available and try to make some plays. That's on the expo for you. All right. Here's what I'm looking for. I'm going to look for fifties Parker's cards. Cause I have to start building my set on those. Cause they're awesome. I'm going to keep looking for my greatest NHL player to each number of rookie cards in high grades if possible. I will be looking for Mike Bossies, Pelly Lindbergh's, Ottinger's, or any Pekka Rene's. And now here's the card I was talking about earlier. It's a stab in a dark, and I bet there's like a 0.01% chance I find this card. But I'm going to send out the bat signal to all our listeners. Maybe someone has it. Maybe someone knows where this card might be. It is a 1970-71 Cumulus Mastar Serene. It's a Swedish card. Number 177, the players listed are John Mayasich and James Branch. 
Now, our Minnesota people probably have heard of John Masich, Gopher legend, big mural of him at the Mariucci Arena. But the other player is the one I am interested in, James Branch. He is my one of my best friends. Dad's he's passed away about ten years ago, but he played for Richfield High School, played for Team USA, and this is the only hockey card he's on. So I am trying to find it for him, and I think it'd be really cool if I could hunt it down. His dad was a fantastic player, played for Team USA, played for the Gophers, was a captain of the Gophers, I think for two years. And when he was like 16, 17, he had like the Canadians, the Bruins trying to get him to leave high school and come play pro, and he wouldn't, or try to get him out of college early. And he graduated from college and just decided not to play hockey anymore and went to work. (laughs) <laughs> work as executive in the food industry. Crazy. Okay, so the other guys are chasing Bossy, 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 Pelly Lindbergh, Jake Ottinger, Pekka Rene. Force rank those for me. Who you're most chasing? What's your order? Pekka. Of- Pekka. Man, Bossy and Pelly are like a tie. And then Ottinger. Oh, oh, there's more. I forgot. I, I, wrote, I, I wrote down, I'm looking for wax too. I'm going to buy some wax. But then also I got to always look for my random cards. Like I like WWE stuff, X-Files, Parks and Rec, Warehouse 13, Eureka. I also will look for comics. Not that they have a lot, but there's some people that had them last time. <laughs> Next question from Instagram, Cards AH. Are premier mega patches getting smaller? So this question totally sucked me in the rabbit's hole today, Troy. Like deep, deep. I went and found like a 2020 premier McDavid mega patch, and then I compared it to the 2021 premier sell sheet. Put them like in a graphics program side by side and tried to measure the size <laughs> of the window. And I actually do think that the 2021s are a little smaller. I think it has to do with sort of like the shape of the window mm. and it kind of bumps in a little bit over the patch a little bit, but it does look like it is a touch smaller. So I'll call it, I'll say yes, but slightly. Last question from Loud Collector on Instagram, also a Gong Show patron. He does really, really starting to do YouTube videos. Again, loud collector. I would recommend you go check them out. They're very funny. What is your favorite donut? He says, I'll go first. Chocolate dip. With And then he says, apple fritters being his close second. Uh, I'm a raspberry Bismarck guy. I don't know what that says about me. but All right. I am, if anyone knows the group, Wu-Tang Clan. We are a family show, but there's a member with the initials. I'll just say ODB. And they have an ODB donut at Voodoo Donut in Portland, Oregon that I really, really liked. And I'm originally from Portland, so I got to shout out them and Voodoo Donut. Okay. Well, Troy, that's our show for this Thursday edition, episode 73 of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a rating review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to us on. If you love the show, and you, you now know what donuts we like, so <laughs> starting to learn all about us, and want to support us, want to chat with us on the regular on the Hockey Cards Gong Show Discord server, please consider a $5 a month out of in donation and join the out of 99 support level tier on Patreon. You can support us by going to the hockeycardsgongshow.com website and clicking on the Become a Patron link. You can go to the Patreon website at patreon.com and search for Hockey Cards Gong Show. There's a link in the show description for whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. And finally, in our Instagram and TikTok profile, there's a link tree that has the link there. You should follow us on social media while you're at it. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And Troy, the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast is a production of Dollar Box Ventures, LLC. See you on Monday. <laughs>